Section 13 of the Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 5, by William Still. Section 13. Portraits and Sketches. William Lloyd Garrison, Part Two. As a fitting adjunct to the foregoing sketch, extracts from some of the speeches made at the London breakfast, so magnanimously extended to Mr. Garrison in 1867, are here introduced. As presiding officer on the occasion, John Bright, M.P., spoke as follows. Speech of Mr. Bright, M.P. The position in which I am placed this morning is one very unusual for me, and one that I find somewhat difficult, but I consider it a signal distinction to be permitted to take a prominent part in the proceedings of this day, which are intended to commemorate one of the greatest of the triumphs of freedom, and to do honor to a most eminent instrument in the achievement of that freedom. Hear, hear there may be perhaps those who ask what is this triumph of which i speak to put it briefly and indeed only to put one part of it i may say that it is a triumph which has had the effect of raising four million of human beings from the very lowest depths of social and political degradation to that lofty height which men have attained when they possess equality of rights in the first country on the globe cheers more than this it is a triumph which has pronounced the irreversible doom of slavery in all countries and for all time renewed cheers another question suggests itself how has this great matter been accomplished the answer suggests itself in another question how is it that any great matter is accomplished by love of justice by constant devotion to a great cause and by an unfaltering faith that that which is right will in the end succeed hear hear when i look at this hall filled with such an assembly when i partake of the sympathy which runs from heart to heart at this moment in welcome of our guest to-day i cannot but contrast his present position with that which not so far back but that many of us can remember he occupied in his own country it is not forty years ago I believe about the year 1829, when the guest whom we honor this morning was spending his solitary days in a prison in the slave-owning city of Baltimore. I will not say that he was languishing in prison, for that I do not believe. He was sustained by a hope that did not yield to the persecution of those who thus maltreated him, and to show that the effect of that imprisonment was of no avail to suppress or extinguish his ardor, within two years after that he had the courage the audacity i dare say many of his countrymen used even a stronger phrase than that he had the courage to commence the publication in the city of boston of a newspaper devoted mainly to the question of the abolition of slavery the first number of that paper issued on the first of january eighteen thirty one contained an address to the public one passage of which i have often read with the greatest interest and it is a key to the future life of mr garrison he had been complained of for having used hard language which is a very common complaint indeed 
and he said in his first number, I am aware that many object to the severity of my language, but is there not cause for such severity? I will be as harsh as truth, and as uncompromising as justice. I am in earnest. I will not equivocate. I will not excuse. I will not retract a single inch, and I will be heard. Cheers. And that, after all, expresses to a great extent the future course of his life. But what was at that time the temper of the people amongst whom he lived, of the people who are glorying now, as they may well glory, in the abolition of slavery throughout their country? At that time it was very little better in the North than it was in the South. I think it was in the year 1835 that riots of the most serious character took place in some of the northern cities. During that time Mr. Garrison's life was in most imminent peril, and he has never ascertained to this day how it was that he was left alive on the earth to carry on his great work. Turning to the South, a state that has lately suffered from the ravages of armies, the state of Georgia, by its legislature of House, Senate, and Governor, if my memory does not deceive me, passed a bill offering ten thousand dollars reward. Mr. Garrison here said five thousand. Well, they seemed to think that there were people who would do it cheap. Laughter. Offered five thousand dollars, and zeal, doubtless, would make up the difference, for the capture of Mr. Garrison, or for adequate proof of his death. Now these were menaces and perils such as we have not in our time been accustomed to in this country, in any of our political movements. Hear, hear. And we shall take a very poor measure indeed of the conduct of the leaders of the Emancipation Party in the United States, if we estimate them by any of those who have been concerned in political movements amongst us. But notwithstanding all drawbacks, the cause was gathering strength and Mr. Garrison found himself by and by surrounded by a small but increasing band of men and women who were devoted to this cause as he himself was. We have in this country a very noble woman who taught the English people much upon this question, about thirty years ago. I allude to Harriet Martineau. Cheers. I recollect well the impression with which I read a most powerful and touching paper which she had written, and which was published in the number of the Westminster Review for December 1838. It was entitled The Martyr Age of the United States. The paper introduced to the English public the great names which were appearing on the scene in connection with this cause in America. There was, of course, I need not mention, our eminent guest of today. There was Arthur Tappan and Louis Tappan, and James G. Burney of Alabama, a planter and slave-owner, who liberated his slaves and came north, and became, as I think, the first presidential candidate upon abolition principles in the United States. Hear, hear. There were, besides them, Dr. Channing, John Quincy Adams, a statesman and president of the United States, and father of the eminent man who is now minister from that people amongst us. Cheers. Then there was Wendell Phillips, admitted to be, by all who know him, perhaps the most powerful orator who speaks the English language. Hear, hear. I might refer to others. To Charles Sumner, the well-known statesman, 
and Horace Greeley, I think the first of journalists in the United States, if not the first of journalists in the world. Hear, hear. But besides these, there were of noble women not a few. There was Lydia Maria Child, there were the two sisters, Sarah and Angelina Grimke, ladies who came from South Carolina, who liberated their slaves and devoted all they had to the service of this just cause, and Maria Weston Chapman, of whom Miss Martineau speaks in terms which, though I do not exactly recollect them, yet I know described her as noble-minded, beautiful, and good. It may be that there are some of her family who are now within the sound of my voice. If it be so, all I have to say is that I hope they will feel, in addition to all they have felt heretofore as to the character of their mother, that we who are here can appreciate her services, and the services of all who were united with her, as co-operators in this great and worthy cause. But there was another whose name must not be forgotten, a man whose name must live forever in history, Elijah P. Lovejoy, who in the free state of Illinois laid down his life for the cause. Hear, hear. When I read that article by Harriet Martineau, and the description of those men and women were given, I was led, I know not how, to think of a very striking passage, which I am sure must be familiar to most here, because it is to be found in the Epistle to the Hebrews. After the writer of that epistle has described the great men and fathers of the nation, he says, Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. I ask if this grand passage of the inspired writer may not be applied to that heroic band who have made America the perpetual home of freedom. Enthusiastic cheering. Thus, in spite of all that persecution could do, opinion grew in the North in favor of freedom, but in the South, alas, in favor of that most devilish delusion, that slavery was a divine institution. The moment that idea took possession of the South, war was inevitable. Neither fact, nor argument, nor counsel, nor philosophy, nor religion, could by any possibility affect the discussion of the question, when once the church leaders of the South had taught their people that slavery was a divine institution for then they took their stand on other and different, and what they in their blindness thought higher grounds, and they said, Evil be thou my good, and so they exchanged light for darkness, and freedom for bondage, and good for evil, and, if you like, heaven for hell. There was a universal feeling in the North that every care should be taken of those who had so recently and marvelously been enfranchised, Immediately we found that the privileges of independent labor were open to them. Schools were established in which their sons might obtain an education that would raise them to an intellectual position never reached by their fathers, and at length full political rights were conferred upon those who a few short years, or rather months before, 
had been called chattels, and things to be bought and sold in any market. Hear, hear! And we may feel assured that those persons in the northern states who befriended the negro in his bondage will not now fail to assist his struggles for a higher position. To Mr. Garrison, more than any other man, this is due. His is the creation of that opinion which has made slavery hateful, and which has made freedom possible in America. Hear, hear! His name is venerated in his own country, venerated where not long ago it was a name of obloquy and reproach. His name is venerated in this country, and in Europe, wheresoever Christianity softens the hearts and lessens the sorrows of men. And I venture to say that in time to come, near or remote, I know not, his name will become the herald and the synonym of good to millions of men who will dwell on the now almost unknown continent of Africa. Loud cheers. To Mr. Garrison, as is stated in one of the letters which has just been read, to William Lloyd Garrison it has been given, in a manner not often permitted to those who do great things of this kind, to see the ripe fruit of his vast labors. Over a territory large enough to make many realms, he has seen hopeless toil supplanted by compensated industry, and where the bondman dragged his chain, there freedom is established forever. Loud cheers. We now welcome him amongst us as a friend, whom some of us have known long, for I have watched his career with no common interest, even when I was too young to take much part in public affairs and I have kept within my heart his name, and the names of those who have been associated with him, in every step which he has taken, and in public debate in the halls of peace, and even on the blood-soiled fields of war, my heart has always been with those who were the friends of freedom. Renewed Cheering We welcome him, then, with a cordiality which knows no stint and no limit, for him and for his noble associates, both men and women. After this eloquent and able speech by the chairman, the honor of proposing an address to Mr. Garrison devolved upon the Duke of Argyle, who introduced the subject in the following glowing speech. Speech of the Duke of Argyle Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen, it is hard to follow an address of such extraordinary beauty, simplicity, and power. But it now becomes my duty, at your command, sir, to move an address of hearty congratulation to our distinguished guest, William Lloyd Garrison. Cheers. Sir, this country is from time to time honored by the presence of many distinguished and of a few illustrious men. But for the most part, we are contented to receive them with that private cordiality and hospitality, with which I trust we shall always receive strangers who visit our shores. The people of this country are not preeminently an emotional people. They are not naturally fond of public demonstrations. And it is only upon rare occasions that we give, or can give, such a reception as that which we see here this day. There must be something peculiar in the cause which a man has served, in the service which he has rendered, and in our own relations with the people whom he represents, to justify or to account for such a reception. Hear, hear! As regards the cause, 
it is not too much to say that the cause of negro emancipation in the united states of america has been the greatest cause which in ancient or in modern times has been pleaded at the bar of the moral judgment of mankind cheers i know that to some this will sound as the language of exaggerated feeling but i can only say that i have expressed myself in language which i believe conveys the literal truth hear hear i have indeed often heard it said in deprecation of the amount of interest which was bestowed in this country on the cause of negro emancipation in america that we are apt to forget the forms of suffering which are immediately at our own doors over which we have some control and to express exaggerated feeling as to the forms of suffering with which we have nothing to do and for which we are not responsible i have never objected to that language in so far as it might tend to recall us to the duties which lie immediately around us and in so far as it might tend to make us feel the forgetfulness of which we are sometimes guilty of the misery and poverty in our own country but on the other hand i will never admit for i think it would be confounding great moral distinctions that the miseries which arise by way of natural consequence out of the poverty and the vices of mankind are to be compared with those miseries which are the direct result of positive law and of a positive institution giving to man property in man loud cheers it is true also that there have been forms of servitude meaning thereby compulsory labor against which we do not entertain the same feelings of hostility and horror with which we have regarded slavery in america it was a system of which it may be truly said that it was twice cursed it cursed him who served and it cursed him that owned the slave hear hear when we recollect the insuperable temptations which that system held out to maintain in a state of degradation and ignorance a whole race of mankind the horrors of the internal slave trade more widely demoralizing in my opinion than the foreign slave trade itself the violence which was done to the sanctities of domestic life the corrupting effect which it was having upon the very churches of christianity when we recollect all these things we can fully estimate the evil from which my distinguished friend and his coadjutors have at last redeemed their country cheers it was not only the slave states which were concerned in the guilt of slavery it had struck its roots deep in the free states of north america we honor mr garrison in the first place for the immense pluck and courage he displayed cheers sir you have truly said that there is no comparison between the contests in which he had to fight and the most bitter contests of our own public life in looking back no doubt to the contest which was maintained in this country some thirty-five years ago against slavery in our colonies we may recollect that clarkson and wilberforce were denounced as fanatics and had to encounter much opprobrium but it must not be forgotten that so far as regards the entwining of the roots of slavery into the social system in the opinions and interests of mankind there was no comparison whatever between the circumstances of that contest here and those which attended it in america hear hear the number of persons who in this country were enlisted on the side of slavery by personal interest was always comparatively few 
whilst in attacking slavery at its headquarters in the united states mr garrison had to encounter the fiercest passions which could be roused thank god mr garrison appears before us as the representative of the united states freedom is now the policy of the government and the assured policy of the country and we can to-day accept and welcome mr garrison not merely as the liberator of the slaves but as the representative also of the american government cheers end of section thirteen